Well, um, we are in the middle of a series on the church. And if you're here at church today, and you're wondering, why are we talking about the church when I'm at the church? Because what we realize as we turn the corner in 2021, many people, many of our people, and I would just say, as a society, have really lost um, maybe vision or even understanding for what the church is. And in many ways, I think that believers and even church leaders kind of maybe lost their way a little bit in the midst of experiencing and trying to respond to so many different things going on in our country. So we just said, Lord, we want to get your heart again for who is the church and what is the church. Not everything that it isn't, or, but it's just who is the church and what is the church supposed to do? And so that's really what this series is about. And if you've missed some of the messages, that's fine. You can go listen to them on our website or online. But we really want you to capture the heart um, of it and, and, and our desires from this place then. It'll catapult us and move us forward as a church body. So we've talked about the church as the body of Christ where he is the head. We've talked about um, the church as the bride of Christ, where Jesus is the groom coming back for his bride. We've talked about how it's the believers in Christ. It's not just a cool social club or anything like that. It's actually people that have professed their faith uh, in Jesus and are willing to follow him all the days of their life. We've talked about how the church is a building, but not made with human hands. It's a people together, a place where the Spirit of God can dwell, where God can dwell with his people. And then last week, um, Ashley spoke on how the church gathers. And really powerful, uh, as I was even watching her share everything, it was just so many great memories of what our church has engaged in over the last decade and really what we are part of as that Antioch movement. And just reminding us again, whenever the people of God gather, there's something special that happens. There's something unique. And God loves to show up when his people gather. And so again, we are gathering here this morning and we firmly believe there's something unique that happens when the individual is worshiping or reading the word or just walking with God throughout their day. There's also something specially unique when we gather together. So today we're going to talk about the church gives. The church gives. Now I know what most of you just thought. You just saw dollar signs, right? I know you. You're like, Oh my gosh, are we talking about giving? Yeah, we are going to talk about giving. Um, but it's actually way more costly than a dollar. That's right. Yeah, come on. Like what we're about to talk about is actually, it's, it's, it's way more than maybe you've ever imagined when it comes to the church. What is the call of God on the church? We're talking about what does the church do? Man, we are, we are givers. We are, we are giving people. But I know you're probably thinking of maybe gifts or money or birthday presents, which is true. That is, those are forms and ways of giving. But what I want us to kind of look at today and pivot to is, is what is the ultimate gift? What is the ultimate gift? I think it's described to us in John 3.16 through 17. If you're a sports fan or not, you've heard John 3.16. You've seen John 3.16 here. If you don't even know what that is, I'm about to help you out. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's, we've heard it before. It is beautiful though. This is God's ultimate gift, was literally giving us his son. The giving 
of himself. The ultimate gift we can give is to give yourself. It's not money. It's not just some time here or there. It's not an idea. The ultimate gift you can give God and give others is yourself, which is why it's more costly than a few bucks. But what did Jesus give us? Right? Just he gave us a lot when he gave us himself. But let's just walk through a couple of things. He gave us the gift of salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. The key there is that it's not as a result of our works or of our good deeds or of how much our intentions carry the day or the fact that I helped a friend out in need. That's not what salvation is based off of. It is a gift from God through the way of Jesus, but it is by the grace of God that we have access to it, not that we can boast in our own works. If you haven't noticed, most world religions are centered on man's efforts in good deeds in order to earn them a spot in that holy place and that heavenly realm and that paradise, whatever you want to call it, it's based off of man's own efforts. And with Jesus, it's actually based off of his efforts, not ours. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it, that as we are sinning, right? So it's like, it's like as we're actually doing evil deeds, he died for you. He said, wow, I know you're a terrible person, but I'm still gonna die for you. Wow, you've done wicked things, but I'm gonna lay my life down for you. We don't normally think about that. We don't really look at ourselves as wicked people. We look at ourselves as pretty nice, pretty good, made a few mistakes, right? We all wanna look at it. We wanna look in the mirror and say, yeah, pretty good. I mean, maybe a few adjustments here or there with the hair or a little shave here or maybe a little nose thing, or whatever, a few but Overall, pretty good, right? That's how we like to view ourselves. We view ourselves a lot better than we actually are, right? Because all we're seeing, we're seeing the outside, right? But here it's like, oh, yeah, there's some selfishness going on. A little bit of jealousy, a little envy, a little comparison, a little pride going on. If that was in the mirror, it would kind of freak us out. Let's be honest. If all that was what you're looking at in the mirror and not this pretty face, it's like, whoa, uh, I don't know if I need to go to work today, Right? But even while we look so ugly in the mirror with all of our stuff, Jesus said, I'm going to die for you because I want to wipe this stuff away. I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a new start, and I forgive you. Now come and follow me. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gift of salvation. He gave us the gift of relationship. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Speaking of the people in the world who don't know Jesus Christ can't know the Father, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So he, but he gave us access to be called children of God. How cool is that? Children of God by knowing the Son of God. The last one I'll share with you, what did Jesus really give us? Give us the Holy Spirit, John 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be 
in you. Man, that is good. He gave us the Holy Spirit, which means you're never alone. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what? He says he sends the Holy Spirit in that moment. He comes on the side of you. Now, you're wondering, well, what does he look like? I don't know. He's, he's holy. I know that much. Whatever holy looks like, that's the spirit. He comes inside and you sense it. You feel it. And then once you give your faith, once you put your trust in Jesus, then all of a sudden what happens is you start watching the same movie you used to watch that began, you were like, had like a numbing effect on. Now you watch it and you're like, ooh. Right? It, it, it's like for any parent, just when you become parents, if you're not a parent yet, you'll want to like let your kids watch the movies you used to watch. Be like, man, this is going to be funny. And you kick it on and you're like, oh my, what did they... All the innuendos, all this like, okay, turn this off. You know, it's like when you start watching Disney again through the lens of a parent, you're like, there's a wicked witch in every Disney. What is wrong with these people? It's like every evil villain is like some witch magical person. And you're like, let's just watch the nice parts about Cinderella. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that before. That's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? It's like, whoa, I didn't see that before because the Holy Spirit comes to convict. I mean, man, that's the number one thing I need, conviction. <laughs> when it's like about to, uh, oh, conviction, right? It's that unseen spirit of God because he's holy, right? Anything that's unholy, he's going to say, hey, uh, yellow flag or red flag. Just, and you're like, okay, I can't do that. Or we can overstep him and say, forget you, Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that, by the way. It's not going to go well for you. But Jesus gave us so many other things, not just salvation, relationship, the Holy Spirit, but many others. But I just wanted to set the stage for you because, again, the greatest gift, the greatest gift you can give is to give yourself. And, we, and today we're going to look at how the church needs to reflect what Jesus has done, which if Jesus has given himself, then that means what he's asking us to do is to give ourselves. Amen. He says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now just think about that for a moment. We're talking about a human being, a shepherd. A shepherd is a human, right? Sheep, dumbest animals on planet earth, arguably. Cute, fluffy, we get cotton or wool, all that sort of stuff, okay? But I'm just saying they're known in the animal world pretty dumb. So Jesus, and this, the good shepherd, laying his life down for very dumb creatures. And then you're like, wait, we're the sheep. What's he trying to say? Well, we're kind of dumb. But he loves us so. Isn't that good? It's like, what, he even loves me in my dumbness? Yes. Oh, whoa. I mean, that's a real love. I mean, loving smart animals, like, that's cute to, like, love the monkey. You know, they're really smart. No, that's, that's easy. He didn't say they said the sheep. Because he wanted to make the point, I'm going to love the lowest of low. I'm going to love the most evil of evil. I'm going to take the ones that everyone else, and I'm going to say, I'm going to love you. Isn't that good? That's the good shepherd, y'all. I was reading through the story I came across from World War II. I think it'll kind of illustrate this point. Um, boarding the SS Dorchester on a dreary winter day in 1943 were 903 troops and four chaplains. World War II was in full swing, and the ship was headed across the icy North Atlantic where German U-boats lurked around. 
At 12 o'clock in the morning on February 3rd, a German torpedo ripped into the ship. The cries went out, she's going down. People started scrambling for lifeboats. A young GI crept up to one of the chaplains and he said, I've lost my jacket, my life jacket. The chaplain took his off and said, take this. Before the ship sank, each chaplain gave his life jacket to another man. The heroic chaplains then linked arms and lifted their voices in prayer as the ship fell into the sea. I love that story because what it shows is that these four chaplains were simply doing what Jesus had already done. They were following his ways. And you know what? Sometimes following his ways will cost our lives. That's why I said it's more costly than any amount of money. It is costly to give of yourself. <laughs> but man, that's our king. You know, like that's Jesus. He laid his life down for us. And I love this beautiful story of these four chaplains who just said, we're going to go down, but we're going to trade our life for another. I mean, what a powerful story. In John 10, 17 through 18, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. What I want you to see there is that Jesus is saying this to his disciples before he gets arrested, before he's crucified. This is in John 10, okay, in the story. What he's saying is, I choose to lay down my life. I choose to be arrested. They're not forcing me on my own accord. This is the son of God. He is choosing to lay his life down. He is giving us a model to follow. It's not by force, right? Like it's not force. It's actually by choice. So our greatest gift that we can give to him and others is ourself. All right, so I'm gonna pivot here and unpack kind of four clear ways that I believe biblically are very much admonished and very much exhorted um, for us as people to give ourselves, okay? So how do we give ourselves as the church, as the people of God? What's it need to look like? Well, the first one I'm talking about is giving yourselves by loving. Giving yourselves by loving. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. I'm gonna say sisters too. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And I want to ask you a question. What if before every newscast in 2020, they had to put this scripture on the screen? I mean, you would just obliterate their whole lineup of talking points, wouldn't you? What if, what if before every speech any politician gave, what if before every rally, what if before every newspaper article, or better yet, what if before every church service, the pastor got up and read this and said, this is going to be us? I think our year would have gone quite differently. But that didn't happen, so here we are, right? But I want to read this again because this is, this is Paul writing to believers in the city of Corinth, and he's saying it to them. So he's saying it to the believers, meaning like us, the people in this church right now, it's like, oh, this is for the church folk. 
Yeah, this is for the church folk. We're not, he's not saying try to agree with everybody out there on planet Earth. He's saying if Jesus is the king, if he is our Lord, if he is the centerpiece, then we've got to come underneath his lordship, submission, and find a way to work it out together. Does that make sense? He says aim for restoration, which is hard to do, to restore broken relationships. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And what's going to happen if we do that? I love this. And the, and the God of love and peace will be with you. It's like, it's like gravity, right? We all right now are experiencing the real impact of gravity because you're sitting. You could stand up and jump with all your strength and you'll come right back down in about a half a second. Why? Because of gravity. Gravity is pulling on you at all times. It keeps your car on the road. It keeps your house settled. It keeps you floating around in the air, right? We're not in outer space. We're on Earth. And on Earth, there is gravity. And gravity is real, right? And it exists. What we want as a people is that the love of God is real and exists and that we feel it pulling on us, tugging around us, part of us, not absent from us, right? Because if you're absent from gravity, what happens? You just kind of float around. You ever see those astronauts? Like, it takes a lot of skill, I've heard, to actually know how to, like, swim with no gravity. It looks cool. But you don't want to be out of that spaceship. We're just go, because then you're just gonzo, right? What if gravity just went away right now? I mean, it would be crazy. It'd be fun for, like, five minutes. And then we'd all start freaking out. Because we can't, we can't get down to the ground. We just float around everywhere. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know? And what if all of our cars all of a sudden just, I mean, be crazy wrecks if we were, right? It'd be wild. Without love, it's, it's crazy, Phil. I mean, with, within the church, without real love, it gets crazy. We want to be a people that aren't crazy like that. We want to be a people that have that comfort, that peace with one another. So we've got to give ourselves by loving one another, which is not easy to do. We also want to give ourselves by praying. It says in Romans chapter 8, second part of verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you picture that? Jesus at the right hand of God interceding for us right now? Like he is actually contending, praying right now for us. Acts 1.14 says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is right before the early church is launched. What we're going to see in Acts 2 and Acts 1, it says, what were they doing? Preparing their hearts, preparing the way for the church to be birthed. They were together devoting themselves to prayer. I came across a quote this week. It said, the immediate purpose of prayer is the accomplishing of God's will on earth. The ultimate purpose of prayer is the eternal glory of God. The immediate purpose of prayer is the accomplishing of God's will on earth. But the ultimate purpose of prayer is the eternal glory of God. Church, I want us to see that prayer is a gift. It's, it's a gift. And really, anything in the kingdom of God, anything we read in the scriptures, 
we should shift out of the mindset of it being like a duty or a law. Does it make sense? Shift into it being a delight. You can take anything you read and say, man, is this a duty or delight? Is it a duty that, that, I, that, I, uh, that I have to bring my wife flowers on her anniversary? I mean, think if that's my mindset. Oh, it's anniversary. Shoot. Got to buy her some more flowers again. Well, it's what's expected. As, I mean, her dad told me years ago, you better buy her flowers on her anniversary. Okay. Here you go, babe. Here's your flower. What did you, what did you like again? Here you go. She's going to love that, right? No. The door slammed in my face. Sleep outside tonight. It's like, whoa, okay. Real consequences, right? Sin has consequences, but, you know, and that'd be sinful, right? I'm not giving my wife of 15 years flowers because it's a duty. It's, oh, man, which ones can I get? Oh, these are nice. Oh, those are kind of old. I don't want those. These are, oh, these, she's going to like those ones. Oh, I like, oh, this, babe. I know, you're expect, I know you know what's happening, but here's your flowers. That's what he wants from us. God, it's time again. You got to do that. Do, oh, man, this Christian thing, a lot of rules. Just taking up time, you know? But we act like that, don't we? It's like, oh, duty. Yeah, because duties, yeah, because Jesus came so we can all just sign up for duty. I came to give you life, abundant life. But wait, guys, we keep walking around like this. Yeah, I'm a Christian. It's exciting. Like, go share the gospel with someone. Man, and you're like, Jesus, he's really amazing. He's, he's uh, changed a lot of things in my life. I'm really excited about him. <clears throat> I'm like, no, you're not. I don't want to follow that, Jesus. It sounds like a bummer train. What? I don't want to do that. I, that sounds terrible. What happened to you? Well, we act like that, don't we? I'm going to church again. Man, I'm going to life. I got to pray for this guy. <sighs> so frustrating. I want to get back to my Netflix show. Man, I got all these texts I got to respond to. Yeah. Tell me I'm time to pray. You're right, because texts will be eternal. Come on, make it plain. They won't be. Your social media account won't go to heaven. Exactly. No one cares about your profile up there. They don't. They really don't. What they care about is your investment into people's lives and your investment in him. There's two relations you're concerned about. Him and everybody around you. Invest in them. So when it comes to prayer, let us not put it on low on the priority list. Oh, prayer. You know why it's hard for people? Because it's something you often do in the secret place. You don't get noticed. Right? Do you notice that? Like, it's, it's like the thing that you don't get noticed for by humans is why it's hard. Because we just so long to be affirmed and liked and told, good job. When you're praying at 6 a.m., at your house, no one's around. No one's telling you good job but him. So the question is, do you find your satisfaction and affirmation in everybody else? Or is that in him? So if you find it hard to pray, it's probably because there's something in you saying, I want it from everybody else. So you can be the guy that goes in the street corner and prays. Hey, guys, look, I'm praying. Hey, thank God. Woo, thank you, Lord. Look at me, prayer warrior. I'm there. The, the prayer conference, I went to that. Yeah. <laughs> The, I got the bracelet, still wearing it six months later. The prayer conference, yeah. Were you there? Yeah, we prayed. Have you prayed since? Well, no, man, but I was praying then. Come on now. 
This is how we do things. And that's not the kingdom. What's the kingdom? The kingdom is it being a lifestyle expression. I got to share this story with you. Um, Several years ago, I was invited to go to Russia, southern Siberia. We have some churches there, Antioch does. And um, they were planted right after the Berlin Wall fell, so in the early 90s. And so if you don't remember, Soviet Union controlled everything. They burned every Bible they could find. Um, They essentially tried to destroy all forms of religion into the communist state. And um, they, uh, so no one, like very few people had ever heard the name of Jesus or seen a Bible across Russia, 200 million people, okay? And um, so Enoch goes in, and we church are planted, that kind of stuff. And I go, I'm invited by Jimmy Seibert, who's the senior pastor of Enoch Waco, and Joe Ewan, who uh, really encourages our movement and is a real prophetic voice, um, and will oftentimes come to our training schools and teach. And so I get to go with them and a couple other guys. And so we, we get on the plane, and we go, and Jimmy turns and says, hey, guys, once you guys know, it's going to be an interesting week. I said, why is that? And he said, well, we just found out uh, today that two of, our, um, two of our church planners in the Middle East are in prison. And we're like, oh, this just got serious. He said, so we're still going. We're going to do the trip, but I'll probably be a little preoccupied uh, on the way. We said, that's great. Sounds great. So um, we get there and we're going through the conference stuff and I'm actually rooming with him. And, you know, he just, it's like he was engaged with the stuff we're doing, but then he's on the phone all day on the computer trying to talk to all sorts of officials and State Department people all over the world. And um, so we're getting there, and you know we're a couple days in, and we're getting reports back like, hey, things aren't looking good. Like the, the trial is going to happen in the next 48 hours or so, and um, things aren't looking good. And so we don't know what to do. We've tried different angles, and nothing's moving. Um, where they're they're going to put these guys on trial, and it and it could end well. I mean, end terrible. And... Um, so we pulled together in a hotel room, and Joe and Jimmy and a few others, and we were there and said, hey, we got to pray. So we just, we just started praying. The only way I know how to describe it is that when you get into an environment to where your only option is to pray, there's actually no other option, you pray a little desperate. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you actually pray like, like there is no other option. The other option is death. And so if you don't fervently pray and put it out there, then it's over. And that's where we were for them. These were faithful comrades in the faith, and they have laid their lives down for years um, in the Muslim world, trying to reach people for Jesus, and um, got put in a bad situation. And so we're contending for them. And um, as we're praying, someone gets kind of a, a, a word picture. Sometimes when you're just praying fervently, that God will kind of speak to you and give you like a picture. And, and the picture was Jimmy, who kind of represented for Antioch kind of this, this apostolic leader, this apostolic gifting to, to plant churches and do these things. And then, and then it was Joe Ewan, who's he's in his 70s. He's been, he's been praying and prophesying over people for years and is a real encouraging prophetic voice within the Antioch movement. And the picture was that Jimmy and the apostolic and Joe and the prophetic needed to link hands and to literally together cry out in the name of Jesus for the prison gates to open. And so in, in, the, in the picture we had was that the Lord was going to give them a key kind of supernaturally in that moment. And as we turned it in that hotel room, that God's going to be releasing them. Now we're just five guys in a hotel room in Southern Siberia. Okay. There was people all over the world who knew about it in different pockets that were praying as well. We were simply a part of that. Here's all that I know. Hours before we started praying, we're at a gridlock, things look dire. 
within a couple hours after of us praying. And I just wanna say, you know that, that something's happening when you feel a weight in the room that is not human. It is supernatural. It is whatever you can imagine. It's like, whatever you can imagine when it's like, oh, God is here, that. So as we're praying, literally turn the key. Within a couple of hours, we get a call that their trial is no longer going to happen and they're going to be released. Now, I don't share that with you to say that it's simply because of what we prayed, but I will say it was a contributing factor. And let me just say that when you pray desperately, it is different, y'all. A friend of mine who's been a, a missionary in Southeast Asia for years came back and was talking to me. She said, hey, can I tell you guys something? I've seen miracles all over the world. Any miracle, it's like I've seen the dead raised. I've seen people's blind eyes open. I've seen leprosy healed. I've seen water literally turn from black, poisonous water to pure drinking water. I've seen the, mirac the miracles, you're like, Wait, that still happens? Like, yes. But he said, you know where I see it? At the edge of lostness. Because God loves to show up when it's really dark. Yes. Meaning, when you get uncomfortable and you press into a place, into the darkness, God shows up because he loves to show off in front of the darkness. Amen. Because he's more powerful. He's already defeated it. He's looking for us to partner with him in it through prayer to say, I'm going to partner with you for the victory that's already there and to go for it. That being said, it doesn't work every time. It doesn't mean every time I've prayed for someone that it's worked. But it doesn't mean I'm going to stop contending. That's right. As believers, we have got to get over the fact that one disappointment then creates our new theology. Yeah. Right? My sons play baseball. One of them's playing right now. And um, yesterday, he's playing, and he struck out. My son, Graham, he's a pretty good hitter, but he struck out. He was bummed, walked over. I said, hey, what are we talking about? You struck out. We're going to learn about and think about how you struck out. You're still a hitter, though. It does not change the fact you're still a great hitter, but you struck out. Just because you don't see the breakthrough once does not mean stop contending for it. It means that we live on planet Earth still. <laughs> In heaven, it's, it's a thousand percent. You're always winning. But we ain't there yet, y'all. So God's invited us to the church to give ourselves on behalf of another. Why do we pray? We pray so that we get the breakthrough and the blessing for another. Which is why I would urge you, the majority of your prayers should have nothing to do with you. They should have everything to do with him and with others. Amen? Amen. We want to give ourselves by contributing. Contributing. Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I wish I had more time to unpack more of this. Let me show you a couple of pictures, though, because several years ago, like three or four or five years ago, I think, it was 2016 maybe, Hurricane Harvey came to hit. Anyone from Houston? Yep. Houston, Beaumont, that whole area, right? So, like, if you're in that area, houses got flooded, you know the pictures is crazy. So we see all this happening here in College Station, and we got water, but not like that. And we're like, what do we do? And so we've got a church there, Antioch, Houston, and said, man, what we can do? They said, man, we're scrambling. All of our houses are underwater. It's crazy. And um, so we said, hey, we're there. We're, as soon as the roads open up, we're there. So we kind of put a notice out to the church. This is in August. Hey, in 24 hours, we're leaving. Whoever wants to come, we're going. I remember going to Harbor Freight, a little tool supply shop. I bought every single crowbar they owned. I bought all these little sheetrock saws. I mean, I just bought it all. We bought generators. We loaded up. We said, hey, who's with this? 
Over 200 people showed up from this church, said, we're with you. 8 a.m., we rolled out. We go there, and uh, we're tearing down houses and helping them gut stuff because of the rot and the mold and all that sort of stuff. And that's pretty much what every house in the whole Houston area looked like, right? You ripped out the stuff, and you threw it out on the side of the road. It was crazy. But what I was so proud of was our people's willingness to just say, hey, they're in need. We're going. We're going. And yes, many of us had families that were affected, but I loved it. People who, who didn't know anyone there, they said, we're going to go serve and help other brothers and sisters in need. And many people who helped didn't know the Lord at all. We got to pray for them, share the gospel with them, minister to people. They're like, why are you helping us? They're like, you don't want any money? He's like, no, we're just going to freely offer this to you. Because everybody's driving around trying to get people, hey, we'll, you know, we'll pay us 4000 bucks, we'll gut your house, that kind of stuff, which is fine. But we're like showing up, and they're like, wait, these guys are doing it for free? And they're like, shoot, you know? So we're just doing all this stuff, but I loved it because what it showed was that the heart was there to step in, and that's what the church does. The church gives itself when people are in need. But it's not just in those physical ways, it's also financially. I just want to tell you that for the last 10 plus years as a church, I cannot recount all the stories of the secret Venmo giving to the GoFundMes, to the cash in an envelope, to the person in a life group getting surprised. I mean, it's like the number of stories ranging from $100,000 down to 50 bucks that people have generously just given to help one another is crazy. People have literally given cars away when they didn't have a car left and went and got a little motorcycle. People have rallied together to actually sacrificially give to keep someone's rent going. They have helped pay for medical bills. We have been to life groups where people presented, uh, you know, this family didn't have any vehicles, whatever, their vehicles are all shot, and we bought them this like used van, and they were just blown away. I mean, I've been here, you walk out in the parking lot, someone gets a car. I have been here when someone has $40,000 worth of debt, and we rally and say, hey, we paid it off. And they're like, just, I mean, they're just, they're melting because the generosity flows. That is the church. It is contributing. It is that Romans 12 passage. It is to the needs of the saints. It is helping them out. That's what the church does. When we talk about giving, there is a financial realm to it. Giving even to this church. The fact we've been able to be a church this long with a two-thirds population of college students is crazy. (laughs) Most people are like, you're nuts. They're like, why are you guys going to try to encourage college students to go to church? Most churches don't want college students, just so you know. They, they actually don't. They, they wouldn't say that publicly, but they behind closed doors. They're like, college students, oh my gosh. You know, they're here eight months out of the year. They don't give. They're, they're, they're flaky on serving. I'm just telling you, college students got a bad rap. You know, but, but we love them. So we're all about it. We're like, listen, we're committed to investing in people so they get on the right path to then have a life of godliness and righteousness and wholeness the rest of their days. I would rather get to your heart at 19 and 20 so that you don't make the mistakes and marriage and parenting and then business and everything else that everyone else has already made. I'd rather you set you up on a path of narrowness on Jesus than at 45 figure out your life is a crisis. And that's okay if that's where you are, but man, we wanna get more people on the path to Jesus earlier on, right? That's why Jordan's saying, we're trying to make disciples of five, six, and seven-year-olds. How much better if they get it then than have to go through all of our turmoil we all went through the high school and identity issues and all sorts of immorality stuff we wrestled through. What if they just skipped all that? Because they got Jesus early, right? We want to be a people, continue to be generous with our giving so we can invest in the next generation. That's what we do as a people. Lastly, we want to share 
um, about giving yourself by serving. This is the last one I'll end on here. Um, you know, we've talked about loving, and we've talked about praying, and we've talked about contributing, but this last one, serving, I, I think I'd maybe say it's, it's closest to my heart, um, mainly just because I, I see over and over Jesus practically serving his disciples and people day in and day out. But you know, the process of becoming servant-hearted, um, it takes time and it takes variety. You, you can't just sign up to be servant-hearted. It actually is a process that is cultivated. Meaning, if you don't start somewhere when you're young in your faith, just serving and contributing and looking out for someone else, then I would, I would argue you would be missing the steps in maturity as a believer. So let me, let me maybe illustrate this way. Um, if you remember back to when you learned to read, I don't know if you can remember back that far, Let's go back to kindergarten. I'm going to help you out, all right? I have kids are learning to read and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and around kindergarten, you uh, learn your phonograms and how letters sound and different combinations of words sound. And, um, and for our kids, they do the phonics farm, and it's kind of a fun way to learn those things, right? And, you know, so you learn that in kindergarten. So you learn um, uh, different sounds of the letter O, right, which is a, o, u, a. I don't know if you actually knew that, that you're all English speakers, but that's actually got four sounds to it, right? And so I have to teach my children, when you see the letter O, it could be ah, o, u, or ah. So you've got to go through your mind and process when you see that letter. But what if my kids tuned me out? Or what if you tuned out during the phonogram? She's like, I don't know, I just want to get to the words. Okay, cool. So first grade, the words start coming. Bus, you know. We're talking about different three and four letter words, and you're, you got you memorize them. You're smart. You're, you're a photographic memory, right? So you're like, ooh, I can memorize that. So you start memorizing the words because you're pretty smart and you can skip the phonogram thing. But first grade, you kind of get by. But the second grade, now they start going to phrases. Oh, man, nice, several words. And then some of the words get a little longer. Now we're talking five, six, seven letters. Now you didn't memorize it. Now you got to sound it out. But I didn't really learn the four different sounds of O. Oh, I just know one, so I keep getting stumped and frustrated in these words but you barely pass in second grade. So then you come to third grade. And in third grade, you start coming up with longer phrases and words, and now you're behind. And now you're struggling. And now you end your third grade year not reading on a third grade level. Let me tell you the real impact, statistical data on that scenario. The um, Annie E. Casey Foundation did a 20 plus year study that found that students who were not proficient in reading by the end of third grade were four times more likely to drop out of high school than proficient readers. In fact, 88% of students who failed to earn a high school diploma were struggling readers in third grade. 88%. Third grade has been identified as important to reading literacy because it is the final year children are learning to read, after which students are reading to learn. If they're not proficient readers when they begin fourth grade, as much as half of the curriculum they will be taught is incomprehensible. Sobering, huh? It makes you want to teach third graders how to read. Yep. Why did I share that with you? Because I holistically believe that for a believer in Christ, that if you don't incorporate serving into your lifestyle, you will literally stunt your growth. I believe it is so significant, so significant to our faith. In fact, Jesus, the night he was arrested, if you remember, he, 
did this final meal with his disciples, right? He broke bread. We get the Lord's Supper from this moment. He takes the wine, the bread, and all that. What else happened that night? His disciples came in, and he washed their feet, right? Now, do you think Jesus grew up thinking, man, I can't wait for the opportunity to wash these guys' feet. I mean, that's it. That's my skill set, God-given. Man, I've personality tested. That's, I am made to be a foot washer. So I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm gonna wait till that foot washing moment comes up because I'm just, I'm made for that. Do you think that went through his head? No. He saw the need, he met it, and he washed their feet. He wasn't picky, was he? He wasn't, he wasn't picky, but we're picky. But he's perfect. I mean, if anyone in human history could have been picky, hey, son of God, I have a very clear mission. I didn't waste my time with foot washing. I got more stuff to do around here. But he chose to wash his disciples' feet. I think it was so significant. It was literally his last act he had with his disciples on planet Earth before he was then arrested, put on a false trial, and crucified. Before he was crucified, it was the last act he did. And so the last thing he did that we know of was he served them by washing their feet. And then he said to them, just as I've done to you, go and do to others. Why do I relate phonograms to serving? Because it's for your own benefit. It's for your ability to mature in God. Um, you can get older, but you'll stay immature. Because instead of actually serving and doing things that maybe are even kind of hard or a little stinky at times, you only do things that cater to your gift mix or your skill set or your schedule. And so you end up then living a life of comfortability where then you pick and choose what you will do and when you won't do it. And you've never really had to do anything hard in your life. So when hard things do come, because just by the way, uh, life is hard, you end up cratering and blaming God and you're short-circuited because you can't handle it. So much so, you could become a dysfunctional believer later on in life and then you end up leaving the church and leaving the faith altogether simply because I would argue you didn't learn the basics of the faith which that is part of the process. Does it make sense? And I don't share this because I need you to sign up for Kingdom Kids. I don't really care if you do that or not. We want people to be part of it, but I, we're not desperate and we're not saying you have to serve there. But here's what I will say. Let me put it this way. Um, anyone who just eats but doesn't cook and clean is a guest. People cooking clean are family. So uh, if you want to be family at this church, you got to cook clean. If you don't, that's fine. We'll continue to feed you, and we will bless you, and we will honor you, and we will love you. But don't, but don't have the expectation to be family. Does it make sense? In my house, they all cook and clean. Even little Madeline just turned three. She knows how to love the dishes of the dishwasher. She's three. Because I want her to grow up understanding there's a responsibility factor. If you're part of a family, this is just what we do. Yeah. It's not mom's dad, job or, dad, or mom or dad or whatever. We are a family. And a family pulls their weight together to do things together. Yeah. Does it make sense? So I want to end by reading this verse. I'm going to have a stand here as we close this morning. You know, um, ho hopefully what you're hearing is that 
there is a deep place of love that we have, that I have for you, which is I want every person who comes to know Christ to fully mature into his fullness. Like there is a destiny on your life. There's a purpose on your life. But I'm telling you, just like in sports, you can't cut corners. You can't cut corners to get there. We want to because it's easier and it's expedient, but it's not, it's not the way. Like the way you have to go about it is his way. And his way does include loving people. It does, even when it's challenging. His way includes us praying for people, even in the secret place when no one notices, but for their breakthrough, for their blessing. His way includes us contributing, whether it be financially or with our time or skill sets or energy, but to contribute to someone else's need. His way includes us serving, even when it's, we're not good at it. Can I just tell you, I've done a lot of things in my life that I am not good at. I would never be hired for. But serving doesn't mean you get paid. You don't have to worry about getting fired. You just serve. You're told by that, well, thanks for helping. Right? Like, I mean, that's serving. It's, I tried. I talked to a couple this morning. They said, hey, we just want you to know, man, like we faithfully signed up for children's ministry last fall and we were there all the time. Man, we are just like not good at that. But we tried. But this is what we're gonna do instead. That's why I said developing a servant's heart requires time and variety. But guys, if you just sit back and wait for that perfect opportunity. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's being her and singing today. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's someone else you know in the city who does something or some deal or doesn't be in the church. Just, but maybe you're waiting for like that perfect spot. But you're just gonna save up all your good stuff till then. Can I just tell you all that good stuff will begin to rot away? Because the way it works in the kingdom, if you're given things, you don't give it away, it just fades to nothingness. The way of the kingdom is that there's rivers flowing in you. Maybe I'll end with this illustration. You know, you take a, a, a vessel, let's take a, a pitcher. Normally you put water in it or, you know, lemonade or tea or whatever. We all have some of those, right? Those can sit in your house or in the cupboard. It's beautiful, it's nice to look at but it doesn't really serve a purpose unless it's filled. Once it's filled, what's the purpose? To sit there and be filled? No, it still doesn't serve a purpose. It's purpose only fulfilled when it's poured out and filled again. We are vessels. <laughs> Your purpose in God is to be filled up with Him and then be poured out on others. That's it, it's super simple. And how we get there is by giving Him our affections, giving ourselves to him. He gave his entire self to us. We are then required to give that back to him. And as we do that, he will then fill us. That'll happen. And then he will give you opportunities to just pour yourself out. But it's not like, it's actually not like a pitcher where you get filled up and it's continual. Do you understand? Like it's, the Bible says that there's rivers flowing of living water. He's the well that'll never run dry. Which means as you're connected to him, that flow is consistent, it's continual. It's just part of our lives, amen? Let me just pray for us and I just um, want us just to respond by just really asking a couple of basic questions. The, the first one is just reach out, just to close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to ask the Lord, um, Lord, where have I been holding back? And just ask him to quietness your heart. Just ask him, the band's just gonna play instrumentally. Just, Lord, where have I been holding back? Because when, when we hold back from him, we, we aren't able to give ourselves fully. 
Lord, where are we holding back? Just highlight one area, Lord, each of us, just one place. You know, maybe the Lord just gave you something came to mind, maybe, or a thought. I would encourage you to remember that or write it down or put it in your phone. It's fine. But just to really act on that place where you're holding back. Say, Lord, I don't want to hold back from you more. He, he didn't hold back from us. He gave everything. And then not just, Lord, where am I holding back? But the second question I ask is just, Lord, where do I need to move forward? Let's just take a moment right now. Just, I believe the Lord can speak to us right now. He can speak to your heart. He can give you a thought in your mind. Just let me remind you of the scripture, but just ask him, Lord, where do I move forward? He wants us to not stay stuck where we are. He wants us to move forward in Him. So Lord, where do I move forward? Just have Him speak to you. Again, we're talking about how do we give ourselves fully. So where do I move forward, Lord? Just ask Him that question. I'm just going to go into a time of worship here.